All right, so if you would, let's open your Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll do our reading of the Word today. We'll go through Ephesians 3, 1 through 12. It says, For this reason I, Paul the prisoner of Christ, on behalf of the Gentiles, if indeed you heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before the brief, before in brief, about which when you read you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it was now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to proclaim to the Gentiles the good news of the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring light for all what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the church, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, and in whom we have boldness and confidence, access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my afflictions on your behalf, which are your glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today, Lord. I just pray that you be with us today, Lord, as we continue to... Um, worship you lord in in music and in the preaching of your word i pray that you be with us today as we um expound your word as we teach those uh, here in the congregation lord we do not take this lightly lord and i just pray that you guide us i pray for those who are listening today lord that their ears and their hearts will be focused on the truth today lord and that any distraction be set aside we thank you lord for what you've done through jesus christ in us and we thank you for what you've done uh, in jesus christ for salvation lord and I pray, Lord, that uh, we are blessed today uh, by the worship and by uh, and that it is a pleasing aroma to you today, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. Okay. All right. I hope you are having a great day so far. Um, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles of Philippians. We're going through a study in Philippians. We're going verse by verse, uh, moving through Philippians. And today we'll start a new chapter, Philippians chapter 2. We'll try to go through verses 1 through 4 today. But today's subject is the subject of unity, okay? Um, I've been a Christian for a little over 20 years now. I've moved to a few places and got to see different churches and different, um, you know, scenarios at the churches I've been in. One of my things is uh, when I go to a new church, I typically, we wait typically about eight months to a year to become members of churches and the reason why is because I like to see when, um, uh, how churches deal, you know, how they go through, you know, situations, how they deal with crises. Um, and sometimes you don't need that much time, but it's just something that we did. But in the midst of that, um, you know, God has allowed me to be in some of the leadership there. And um, I've seen in my young Christian faith, I've seen uh, unity broken, okay, and I've seen unity strengthened. And um, this is a real thing, excuse me, in the church. And so um, 
um, what I've seen is typically dis, uh, uh, unity broken due to tradition, due to uh, maybe following the culture rather than following the truth. And uh, sometimes the brokenness of unity is it's okay um, to have discernment. You know, the Christ of the Bible talks about the purification of the church, and sometimes that's okay. And um, I'm not one of those people where we do not want to offend anybody, right? I don't want to offend them in my own words, but if I can place the Bible between me and them and let the Holy Spirit convict them of God's truth, then that's the side I want to stand on. And hopefully that's the side that you want to stand on as well, okay? Our, um, <clears throat> our traditions, our uh, backgrounds, you know, I've come from a Pentecostal, well, come from Catholic to Pentecostal, Assemblies of God, to uh, non-denominational, to Baptist, Southern Baptist, and now here we are, a Bible church, right? So I have uh, different straight, uh, stripes and colors on me, but at the end of the day, what has guided me and my family is God's truth, okay? And so we, that is where we do not compromise and when we don't compromise God's truth in unity, unity is what holds us together. There are those in those churches that I have visited in the past where um, that unity is still together. Okay? There's those that I've separated myself because they've gone a different direction. Right? Some have strayed away from the faith and some um, continue but have no desire to continue to grow. And it's important that we uh, surround ourselves with those who are like-minded. And we'll talk more about that here in a minute. So um, let's turn our Bibles, like I mentioned earlier, to Philippians chapter 2. Let me see if I get this guy on here. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Can you all hear me okay? Do I need to put this on? We're good? Okay. I'm going to put that little guy right there. All right, so at this point, <clears throat> you know, we're in the epistle of Philippians. Okay? We're chapter 2. Paul is urging the brethren in regards to Christian living, okay? He's calling us to live a life uh, different than those in the world. We were talking in our young disciples about how the Old Testament, um, Israel was, they were called to live a, a way to draw those Gentiles or those pagan nations to them to, in a sense, convert them. That plan has not changed with God. We are called to live in a different way. We're called to live in a way that people are drawn through Christ, that people see us um, manifest the attributes of, of God because as we study God's word more, as we mature in his word, then we begin to have the mind of Christ, the Christ-likeness. And you'll hear that term in chapter two quite a bit, the mind of Christ or the mind or having the same mind. And uh, you'll see that in this chapter. So in the previous section, Owen uh, reviewed... Uh, um, a few passages here. So the ones I want to look at is uh, verse 27 through 30, the first, last four verses prior to going into Philippians. And he says, I mean, Philippians chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> he uh, exhorts them to, he says, verse 27, only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Okay? So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about your circumstances that you are standing firm in one spirit, okay? With one mind contended together for the faith of the gospel, that one mind. 
Verse 28, he says, In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For, for to you it has been granted of Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And verse 30, having the same struggle which you saw in me and now here, I mean, and now here to be in me, okay? So Paul is calling this group of people, and you can put yourself in the same category, to live a life worthy of the gospel based upon last week's message, okay? Based upon last week. You see this also in Ephesians. It's not the first time that Paul has called us or told us or challenged us, exhorted us to live a life worthy of the gospel. Um, But in our text for this study, Paul urges the Philippians again to have unity through humility, which produces joy and not self-centeredness. Now here's the text for today, and it goes like this. It says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you think the same way. By maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So in this text, Paul describes three elements of unity. In verse 1, we see an element of motivation. He's trying to get us motivated for having unity. Okay, then we see in verse 2 the nature of unity. And then in verse 3, we see attitudes or characteristics or behaviors required for unity verses 3 and 4. So let's take a look at these uh, elements and begin with verse 1 with the motivation for having unity. Okay? So the motivation for having unity. So as we go into the text, you'll see the word therefore. The word therefore, what does it do? It's there for some reason, right? But it ties this section back to last week's section, the verses that we read earlier, verses 27 through 30. So therefore, we are to live a life of unity because of Christ's example of humility and sacrifice, okay? Now, if you notice, as I read that, you look at verse 1, it says, therefore, if there is any encouragement, if there is any consolation, if there is any fellowship, if any affection and compassion, you see that pattern there, right? The if in this text is not used to express any doubt, right? He's not questioning it. In fact, the answer is in the question, okay? But the if here is, a, is more of a debate. It's a challenge, okay? It's a, as if, right? But it could be translated better since, okay? So if we take the word if and we say, therefore, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, since there is any, I mean, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, Sense, affection, and compassion, okay? That's what he's saying, is that's what he's trying to point out. It's kind of like a rhetorical question. And this isn't the first time Paul uses this. If you go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, I can maybe read it to you, but feel free to go to it. Um, We see the same thing here. 
in verse 29, it says, And if you, if you belong to Christ, uh, 3.29 of Galatians, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Okay? But what's interesting, if you read the verse before, verse 28, the if here does not suggest doubt that they could be in Christ, but the verse 28 clears it up because it says that they belong to Christ. If you look at verse 28, it says, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Then he says in verse 29, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham. So he tells them that they are, but then what he's doing, he's challenging them to think through. Okay, and that's what he's doing here. It's the same idea, and so it's, it's more of a challenge than it is a questioning, right? Um, so in verse 3, <clears throat> I mean, I'm sorry, it's my point 3. <laughs> In both of these cases, the if means the same thing as since. It could also be replaced with because or so, but since is the the better translation of that word in order to give a more clear meaning of the text. These statements were already deemed true before Paul penned them, okay? So it's not like he's trying to find an answer. This is the last epistle that Paul has, has written, and these statements have already been made true. So when he penned this, it is... Uh, more to to get us to think about what he's saying here. So now, <clears throat> the first we have in in, t- in chapter. I mean, I'm sorry. In verse one, we have four realities. Okay, that should motivate unity. Okay, so the first one is is that we can find. <clears throat> go back here. That we can find encouragement in Christ. Okay, and we can find consolation of love that the, the, there is any fellowship of the Spirit, that there's affection and compassion, okay? These are four realities that should motivate us towards unity. And this isn't unity with the world. This is unity within the church, okay? We should have church unity. Now, again, I mentioned earlier um, that, again, I don't want to make this sound like we should just put away all doctrine and, and just be love each other there is a line, I'm, I'm a real black and white person, especially with the scripture. It has uh, saved my soul many times, I've could have gone astray many ways, if I didn't take the black and white perspective. Is God's word the authority? Absolutely. So if he says this, then we go with this. I don't care about my opinion, I've had to change my opinion multiple times because the Bible has persuaded me or commanded me to, right? So make sure we are submissive to his word. So anyways, that was a freebie. But we see there is much encouragement to be found in Christ. We all know this, right? We can study God's word, and we see that there is, there is a lot of encouragement in Christ, okay? We see this expressed in the Thessalonian church. Um, you can write down 2 Corinthians 2, 16 and 17. There is encouragement from Christ in every good work, word and work. If we look at verse 16, it says, Now... May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen them, strengthen them in every good work and word. We also see this in the Corinthian church. If you go to 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5, uh, we see encouragement abounds in the midst of tribulation. Okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and good, I mean, and God of all comfort, okay? Comfort is also the same as encouragement when you, when you look at the text, I mean, when you look at the, the original there. 
um, verse 4, it says, Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort or encouragement with which we ourselves are comforted or encouraged by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ abound to us, so also our comfort or encouragement abounds through Christ. So we get through the gospel, we get encouraged through the gospel, we get encouraged through the work of Christ. We also see some encouragement in the Old Testament. We see Jonathan, everybody familiar with Jonathan? So Jonathan was uh, a son of a king, King Saul, and he was best friends with David. So we see Jonathan encourage David in a time of trouble. Okay, if you look at 1 Samuel 23, 15 through 18, it says, Then David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. Now David was in the, in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. So Jonathan, Saul's son, this is the king's son, arose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. That word in God is important. He strengthened him in God. Okay, this is the son of the king who was trying to go after David. Okay, verse 17, he says, And he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, and you will be king over Israel. Okay, this is, again, David's friend, Saul, the son of the king, telling David he is going to be king one day. He too has faith and trust in the Lord. And he says, and I will be second to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. Like my father already knows this, right? So the two of them cut a covenant before Yahweh. And David stayed at Horish while Jonathan went to his house. So we see here that Jonathan comes to see David and encourages him in God, as I mentioned. Uh, the expression encouraged him is used for encouraging the fearful, okay? We can only imagine how dangerous it was for Jonathan at this time to go visit David. As we see in verse 15 that Jonathan's father Saul has gone out to seek his life. But during the midst of chaos, how encouraging was Jonathan to David for his visit during this time? I bet David needed this encouragement, especially from someone like-minded, right, who trusts in God and lives for God. This would have been the last recorded meeting of Jonathan with David. Their friendship in God, remember they made a covenant, was certainly based on his unselfish love and faithfulness to his covenant with David before Yahweh. The next time that Jonathan is mentioned in the, in the scripture is the report of his death in the battle. So there's no other recorded message uh, after this between David and um, Jonathan. So very interesting there. So for the first... <clears throat> So the first reality to which Paul points is encouragement. As I mentioned, you look at the text there. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, Jesus prays for all his disciples in John 17, 21. Okay, uh, describes unity, one that the world can see and be drawn to. So this unity is used also to draw people to Christ. Okay, if you look at John 17, 21, I'll read it here. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. We are to encourage each other in Christ through our deeds, our gestures, our speech, so that others can see. 
We're to find encouragement in Christ in order to motivate unity within the body. Imagine when churches are posted on the internet, the news, that they're fighting within each other, typically for the wrong reasons. Now, again, as I mentioned, for the sake of the purification of the church, I have no issues with that. I think that's different than this. But again, um, to see this shames God. It discredits the body of Christ. It discredits all of us. I remember uh, I was in Farmington and there was a, uh, a pastor of another church that disqualified himself and he was removed from the pulpit and we were asked uh, at our church to send a few men to help there. And again, uh, the gentleman continued to go to church there. But I remember going to work one day right after this had happened and this was all over the newspaper. There was a guy that worked with me and he said, he didn't know that I was helping out at this church. But he says, look, see, Ray, that's exactly why I don't go to church. Look what just happened. And man, it hit. So even today, what you do will affect the other believers, those who are truly trying to live a Christ-like life or live in unity, it will affect them. I look at it kind of like a fire in a home. You can have a kitchen that catches fire, but if you get a lot of smoke, the smoke travels through the house and it ruins the rest of the house because you can't get the smoke out of it. The fire never touched it, but the residue of the smoke creeped into it. And you see that here. You see the same thing in that scenario where the gentleman hit me up and he wanted to vent because I was trying to get him to come to church and he was looking for a good reason not to. And that's what he threw at me. So anyways, again, we see that unity is important. It's important, okay? So we're to find encouragement in Christ in order to motivate unity within the body. Now, the second of four realities, of the four realities that, that uh, motivate unity, if you look at the text, it says, if there is any consolation of love, okay? The word para, paraklesis in the Greek is translated consolation uh, here in this text. It is also related to the word translated comforter. You guys kind of maybe heard that, recognize it's, it's a translated um, as comforter or advocate. Some of your translations may have advocate there. Uh, we see this in John 14, 16, and 26, used to describe the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, it says, uh, John 14, 16, says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete or advocate or helper. Okay, that he may be with you forever. Verse 26 says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, or the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So we see here, uh, well, another one that's directly related to Christ is Luke 2.25. It says, One of the names of Christ is the Consolation of of Israel, the helper, the advocate of Israel. And you see that in Luke 2.25. We can see here the word consolation carries with it the thoughts of both the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. This word is used both towards Christ and the Holy Spirit. One of Paul's close partners, Barnabas, was called the son of consolation uh, by the apostles in Acts 4.36. He was a man passionate in helping others. Um, so we see that there Uh, James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary says we as Christians have a duty to see more than another Christian's faults 
It says, we must also see the person and they must love him or her with a love patterned on the love with which God the Father loves us. The person who really loves the other Christian in this way will not seek to separate from him because he is unstable or because they have some minor doctrinal issue. We will seek to know him, to learn from him, and to help him on spiritual things as they advance together on the Christian life. Unquote. So you see that there are some times when we can agree to disagree but still maintain that unity. If all of you believed exactly what I believed about the Scripture, I would say you're not studying, and I will challenge that. That's not a good thing. So you need to study your Scripture. Let the Holy Spirit guide you, uh, you know, with the pastors and teachers that God has given the church today. And so again, um, we, can't, we are like-minded, but it's not exactly like-minded, okay? Um, so as we do this, remember our love is to be patterned after God's love. Our love is to be an outpouring of his love through us as we are transformed by the undwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Our love for each other as Christians must be like Christ's love for us. Okay, do we love each other the way Christ loved us? That agape sacrificial love that we learned in 1 John. Okay, so Christ's love should be our new pattern of life. If you're saved and there's no change in your pattern of your life from before, that's probably an issue that I would really question where you are today. So again, evaluate yourself. <clears throat> now, the third of the four realities that motivate unity is the fellowship of the Spirit. If you go back to the text and you see that it says, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit. So therefore, uh, there is encouragement in Christ, there is consolation of love, and there is fellowship of the Spirit. Okay? So indeed, all who have been baptized into Christ have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? As soon as you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins, and, uh, and you are genuinely saved, then the Holy Spirit comes and you are sealed, okay? That's like giving your bride or your, your fiancé a promise ring, like I will promise you. Not only am I telling you, but I'm gonna give you a token to remind you that I made a commitment, that I made a covenant with you, and the Holy Spirit comes in us, and God seals us with the Holy Spirit to remind us that he will come back for us and that he gives us eternal life. But in verse 238, it says, and Peter said to them, in Acts 238, sorry, and Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of the Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Then we go down to chapter 5, verse 32, and it says, And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God gave to us who obey him. Okay, So, as the church, right, we are the temple of God. He dwells inside us as believers you look at you can see this in 1 Corinthians 3:16 it says do you not know that you are a sanctuary of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you don't you know this so when you sin you're bringing God into that sinfulness when you are um, um, in any sin whether it's simple in our minds or deep in our minds they're all the same to God but any sin you commit you are bringing Christ the Holy Spirit into it even our individual bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned that in verse 19. 
or chapter 6, verse 19 in 1 Corinthians, or do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Okay, you do not belong to your own, to yourself. You were bought with a price. We were bought with a price. We do not belong to ourselves. Again, I always come back to the slave perspective. You are a slave to Christ, and so am I. Now, not only by the Spirit have we all been baptized into one body, but have all been made to drink of the one Spirit. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, For also by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Okay, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not a water baptism here. This is actually a work of a person, the Spirit. The Spirit is a person, the, the third person of the Trinity. Okay, so it says, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one Spirit. Okay, and then we look at John seven thirty seven through 39. It says, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from this innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, um, whom those who believed in him were going to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Okay, So the Spirit comes after Christ is glorified. We see this at the beginning of the church, the birth of the church in the book of Acts. So indeed, there is a true communion of the Holy Spirit, and it is available for Christians, right? This communion that we have, if you look at 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Holy Spirit is what brings us into fellowship. The Holy Spirit is what creates this unity, okay? None of this works if you don't have the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit confirms who you are in Christ and the Holy Spirit baptizes you and brings you into the body of Christ. It is key. Okay, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. Once you have him, he's there until uh, the day we, we go with Christ. The fellowship exists between Christians because the fellowship is created by God, right? That's what I mentioned earlier. Created by God through the Holy Spirit. Grace has made us mutually dependent members of Christ's body, okay? And this is not something that I just made up. If we study this in 1 John. If you go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, it says that what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you may also, here it is, have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. At the point of salvation, we begin a vertical fellowship with God okay we have no fellowship with God our relationship is broken but as soon as we are saved the Holy Spirit comes to us and seals us and then we begin to look up and have fellowship with God if you look at the Ten Commandments the first four commandments are dealing directly with God himself then we look at the others we're dealing with each other as peers okay so that's why you can you can fold or put the two commandments that Christ said into one commandment because it fulfills all of them. Well, that's why it fulfills all ten commandments. But again, also at the same time, we begin a horizontal relationship that stretches outward, right? So first we go vertical, and then we go horizontal, and it stretches to other Christians through Christ, okay? And you cannot have one without the other. You cannot just have a relationship with God and not have a relationship with the other believers with you. And the other way around, you can't just have a relationship with people and not have it with God. 
This comes, this is a package, and it comes together. <clears throat> if we continue reading in 1 John, if you go down to verse 6, if you're still there, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not uh, do the truth. Verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Okay? So if we say we're believers and it is real and it's true, then we should have fellowship with one another. This is a consequence of salvation. This is a consequence of the Holy Spirit coming into us. So if you have no desire for unity, for fellowship, you may not have the Holy Spirit. Okay? So it says <clears throat> here, if I didn't finish reading verse 7, but and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, is there other Christians you may have? <clears throat> is there other Christians you may have to be on? Uh, I mean, are there Christians that we're on bad terms with? Right? If we do, we need to make it right. If there are people, other believers specifically, that you've made a wrong, go back and make it a right. Your lack of fellowship with this other Christian is not of God. That is unbiblical. It is, it is not part of who Christ is. It's of the flesh. It, re, it reveals a lack of fellowship with God. If you want no relationship with those next to you, then you're, you're in a sense saying, I don't want it with God either because it's a package deal, okay? This unity is a package. This is the bride of Christ. So the Spirit should be drawing us together, not apart. Okay, so as I mentioned, do not quench the Spirit, Okay? That's one way to quench the spirit. So now, if we look at the final of the four realities that motivate unity, we see in our text here, it says, affection and compassion. In my translation, some may have mercy, but mine says, any affection and compassion. Okay, there is the affection that comes from Jesus and from other believers. If we look at Philippians 1.8, we, we went through this earlier um, a couple months ago. But for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. You see Paul, he has this desire, this affection to be, to have fellowship and unity with the people around him. Okay, and then we see the mercy or the compassion that comes from our loving Father in heaven. We look at uh, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, Okay, he loved us with a great love, and we're called to love each other with a great love as well. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see that unity there? It's us. It's not you. It's not you. It's not me. It's us. There has to be a unity. This is a mark of a true believer. If there is no unity, then I would question where you are. So, <clears throat> we as Christians have the knowledge of God's mercy and compassion through the Scriptures. Um, the Greek word for compassion, mercy, is only related to God in the Scriptures. It's very interesting. Um, we see this word used in Romans 12.1. It says, Therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
We also see this in 2 Corinthians 1.3. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And then we see this also in James chapter 5, verse 11. It says that the Lord is full of compassion. Again, mercy and compassion can be interchanged. And is merciful. So we see that Paul is lured to the believer's experience of mercy from God. As believers in Christ, we too have experienced God's compassion. Right? We deserved hell. Yet he died for us. But one day he'll return and lead us to heaven to extend us another mercy of being in his presence. Right? Something we don't deserve, but yet he will give it to us. So we must show compassion to those who also confess Christ as Lord, even if they have, even if they have offended us in any way. No matter what the cause, no matter what they've done, there is nothing greater that they can do. They cannot take you from that fellowship or unity with Christ. We should see unity always with one another. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'll keep saying this, I do believe that there are some non-negotiables in the Scripture that we cannot compromise, right? The Gospel uh, specifically, one of them, right? By faith alone, and there's no works, you know, the Christianity, the relationship with Christ is the only um, teaching of the Bible, and it teaches that we are saved by faith and faith alone. There are no works. I would call, <clears throat> I would call the, as I mentioned earlier, I would call this the purification of the church. Okay, we're not called to stand by so that others can water down the truth. Okay, there are some who are too legalistic, and then there are some who are too passive. Okay, legalism brings works. And then those who are too passive brings easy believism from my side of the, of the fence. So again, there is a, 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 a balance there. Okay? We should, we should um, always seek after Christian unity. Okay? Uh, our passage tells us this. Um, so let's reread that verse 1 and 2 with all this in mind. Therefore, if there is any or therefore, uh, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and compassion, then he says, fulfill my joy. Okay, fulfill my joy that you think the same way. Okay, by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose. Okay, Christ also said in John thirteen thirty five that by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay? If there's disunity, there's no love, then is there really truly a unity? Okay? All right. So Paul was moved to encourage the Philippians in this unity. Okay? Some commentators believe Paul may have been uh, thinking about, uh, is it Euodia and Syntyche? Um, which is in chapter 4, verse 2. Some of you want to look there and, and maybe help me out with that translation there of the word names, <laughs> or the pronunciation. But anyways, he may be thinking of these two people because there was conflict in the church. And he's reflecting, some commentators think he's reflecting back to chapter 4, or, uh, verse 2, because, uh, again, there was contention between these two. And that's what he's talking about here. It's what he's trying to deal with, address. So we should enjoy the benefits of unity if we have Christ, Okay? Now, this unity should produce joy in your life. This joy comes from 
the next verse. We see this, verse 2, fulfill my joy, okay? That's what Paul says, fulfill my joy. Now we see the nature of the unity in Christ that produces joy, okay? And what is it? it here's the first, there's, there's four, let me make sure. Yeah, there's four here. And, it's, and the, four, or the first one is it involves being like-minded, okay? That's one of the natures of unity. It involves having the same love, it involves being of one accord or one spirit. The fourth one is it involves being of one mind. And let's go through that first one here. All right. So being like-minded, right, which means to think the same thing. This is a necessary quality of unity. You have to, again, like-minded. Again, it's not talking about 100% thinking the same. But we have to have the fundamentals right. This is a necessary quality of unity. Paul exhorts the Corinthians with light-mindedness. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we notice one of the Corinthians a lot, and Paul corrected the Corinthians. He wrote two big books about it towards them, and they're all correcting. So thank God for the Corinthians to give us examples, right? So 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 11, it says, Now I exhort you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there are no, I mean, that there, uh, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brothers, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Mm. Right? So it doesn't mean... We have to all think exactly the same. We may not even agree on minor matters, like I mentioned, but we should be balanced enough to be open to opinions of others. And that's okay, right? Even in the world, we talk about things of the world. There are typically an opinion on this side of the fence and another opinion on this side of the fence. And the same in Christianity. Now, there are some that you cannot, like I mentioned, be on the other side of the fence. That uh, could be condemnation. But again, the next, uh, the next um, nature of the unity in Christ that produces joy, the next point here in our text is having the same love. If you look at the text, fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love. This should happen naturally, like I mentioned earlier. If we are first like-minded, then having the same love will come natural. We will love. We will love the same things and matters pertaining to Christ and His church. One another with the same kind of love. We'll love one another with the same kind of love. Okay, our love for one another will be of the same kind. It'll be sincere, fervent, and from a pure heart. And that's 1 Peter 1.23. Our love for one another will be mutual, not one-sided, which is often the case, Right? Especially nowadays that our world of technology has created so many introverts, okay? People are being trained to isolate themselves and to be content with technology and no need to, to build relationships, right? Or to have fellowship outside of the confines of their home because you can talk to each other. You can see each other through multiple devices or apps. But what it's done is paralyzed us from meeting together, from having fellowship, Okay? We must retrain ourselves to step out of our comfort zone to be able to have fellowship with the saints. If you've ever witnessed to this or gone out and witnessed to people 
or taking somebody with this, of this new generation who's used to having their phones with them, a lot of them don't know how to, to work with people, to talk to people. You know, they, they used to give a hard time to homeschooled kids, right? That they were like this, but now the whole world is like this because we've taken that away from them. And so that genera- our generation, my generation, I mean, I'm only 42, but we're almost done with. What are we doing to train the next generation? Are we breaking those habits? Are we breaking the trends? Or what are we doing? I don't know. Let me know. We can <laughs> so we can pass on the knowledge and the wisdom to, to those who are seeking for it. But it's a reality. Take a look at your homes. Okay? Take a look. So we are to show the same love to others that the Lord has shown to us, which is a love that did not count the cost. Did you hear that? It's a love that did not count the cost. That's what the Lord showed us. He didn't even look at what it costed. He just went and got it. He just went and took care of business, right? He did what he was called to do. The next thing, it involves um, being of one accord. If you look at the text again, being of one accord, being united in spirit, right? So some of your translations may have accord, another one spirit. So literally of one soul, having your souls joined together. It suggests acting together as if one soul is driving them. Um, as I was reading this, I think of two examples in the Bible. One is what? Coming together as one, right? Marriage. How a man and a woman become one, okay? In God's eyes, they become one unit, right? One uh, uh, home, right? And another one I think of is the triune nature of God. Okay, there's only one God, right? Would you all agree with that? This is one of those non-negotiables to say yes, right? (laughs) There's only one God who manifests himself to us in three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? So therefore, working together in complete harmony, not as separate entities, um, and, and, you know, we're not going our separate ways, but we all should be going towards the common goal, okay? One common goal. That's the idea of being one in accord or one in spirit, right? Being led by the spirit, being one accord. The next one, it involves being of one mind. If you go to the text, again, it talks about uh, being involved of one mind. It says, we are to act so unitedly as to show that Christ's mind is directing our activities. <clears throat> I was thinking about this. I said, imagine if we had a perfect unity in our churches today. Imagine what that would look like. Man, that would be so amazing. But that's not going to happen, right? But that's our goal, is to have that one unity, okay? One translation has it as intent on one person, on uh, one purpose, like that. Being of one mind is intent on one purpose. I'm not only working together outwardly, but also inwardly, having the same purpose and intentions, okay? When such conditions exist in a local congregation, then the unity in Christ that produces joy will be fully experienced, okay? So now, that's verses one and two. 
says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, and if any affection and compassion, then verse 2 says, fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in Spirit, thinking on one purpose. And now we get to verse 3. We see the characteristics required for the unity in Christ, and this produces joy as well. So let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vainglory. Now, the next two verses are things we should not do, okay? They would destroy unity among the believers, maybe even in your own homes. Um, You don't have to be necessarily believers, but this is specifically talking about the church. Okay, possessing these characteristics will destroy unity, okay? For both involve self-centeredness rather than Christ-centeredness. Okay, therefore it is required that we rid ourselves of it, right? Self-ambition is the desire to be number one. Do you guys desire to be number one? I hope not, right? But no matter what the cost is, I think I've been there before, right? Depending what it is. No matter what the cost is, we should not desire to be number one. Um, conceit, it kind of ties to these two. I looked it up on the Webster's Dictionary. just kind of wanted to see what the definition was. But it's excessive appreciation of one's own worth or virtue. Okay? These people are typically more interested in gathering a crowd or promoting their own interests. Okay? There's no humility there. These two are the greatest enemies of the unity among the people of God. Okay? In place of these, um, you know, we should substitute, and here's the answer to that in the next, in the next section of this text, is the humility of mind okay we should have the humility of mind doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory but with humility of mind and we'll stop there okay this will effectively uh, remedy the problem of conceit humility humility should be easy to maintain if we remember our own faults okay um my wife tells me all the time that i'm a great person but I tell her yeah but you remind me so much that I never meet the bar as well, so I don't feel that way, right, sometimes? Because uh, we know each other, right? You can ask the people at home, and they'll tell you how you really are, right? We can deceive the people outside of the home, but if you go ask my children, they'll tell you exactly who I am and what I am. You can ask Marilyn now, too. She's part of our home now, so. Well, she's not allowed to say nothing for six months, so <laughs> she's on probation. No, but true, it is true, right? Children won't lie. But anyways, <clears throat> so humility should be easy to maintain if we remember our own faults, right? I know my faults. You know your faults. We don't need the wife or the kids to remind us. We know deep inside because there's probably some that they don't even know about. We look deep into your heart. Now, regarding one another, the next section, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. This should be easy for us to do, for we are aware of our own defects, but we do not have the same clear view of the defects of others. Like I said, you cannot look into their minds like they can't look into ours, but we can only see their outward conduct. In our case, we can look within, okay? We see our own hearts with all its faults. We cannot look into the hearts of others. Um, In writing to the Roman church, Paul um, exhorted them to outdo one another in this regard 
Romans 12.10 says, Being devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. Okay, so we will put others' interests above our own. This goes against our human nature and is a challenge to put to practice. Okay, so to have humility of mind, right? Put others' interests above our own. Again, this is hard to do. And then the last of these humilities, I'm sorry, the last of these characteristics required for the unity of Christ that produces joy is on this last part here. Um, but also for the interest of others, right? Look out for the interest of others. So this is a foreign to the human mind and cannot be done in our own strength, okay? But by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, this will eliminate the problem of self-ambition, okay? It is a characteristic of maturity, and was the attitude of Christ. If we look at Romans 15, 1 through 3, it says, Now, <clears throat> we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his building up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it was written, the reproaches of those who, re- who reproach you fell on me. Man, that's amazing. So it should be the character so it too should be the character of every Christian out there. All of us. So all right, so the conclusion for today is these characteristics are essential if we are going to have the unity in Christ that produces joy. Okay, this is not to suggest that these characteristics alone will bring such unity. But again, for the unity of Christ that produces joy comes only when the unity is based upon the truth of Christ. These characteristics without the truth will only produce a false sense of joy if you don't have truth, okay? You'll be deceiving yourself or others. But without these characteristics, holding to the truth itself will not give us the joy we seek. So therefore, let us fulfill our joy by making sure that we manifest these characteristics as we attempt to live according to the truth that is in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to take a look at these four verses and uh, seeing these truths, Lord. The unity is important in the church, Lord. I pray that we all seek to glorify you, Lord, in this way. This is something that once we are saved, Lord, you seal us with the Spirit. It has to come naturally. This is not something we work at. This is something that as we grow and mature in the knowledge of you, Lord, it happens more naturally. It happens uh, uh, more passionately, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you, um, you change our hearts and our minds, Lord. Help us to, to um, love each other as you have loved us. Help us to, to set that example that you have given to us. And God, I just pray that uh, we're all uh, blessed by today's word. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen.